Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. I have been 
Paul speaking as well to the Galatians, you all know this one. I have been crucified with Christ. Right? And it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ that now lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith. Right? He's one who loves me and gave himself for me. So he, he sees clearly that it's not me that's living, it's Jesus living in me. I've given up my rights to myself. I am living for something much higher than Paul. I'm living for Jesus. So if I am living, then it's, it's Christ extended in me, doing amazing things. And that to me is, uh, even just in writing that, he's convicting. It's a great time to ask yourself, me to ask myself, do we see our lives as Christ? Living in me wherever I go, he is. Walking around, I'm an extension of him. I'm going to say over and over through the scriptures as we just read. Another one is First John 4, 17, where it says, As he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so am I in this world. Do I see myself that it's much better that I'm alive than dead? Because as I'm alive, it's Christ that people get to see. Wherever I am, people get to see. They get a taste of the flavor of Jesus when they meet me. That's how we should see ourselves. That's how Paul saw himself. Verse 22 is, however it is to be life here that I'm going to go on living, this will be useful and productive service for me. So I do not know which to choose. But if I'm hard, excuse me, kind of hard pressed between the two, I have the desire to leave this world and to be with Christ. That is far, far better. Yet to remain in my body is more necessary and essential for your sake. So at this time, we'll be able to guess the calls around 60 years old when he's writing this letter. Which is, the older I get, that is really young. I'm staring at 60 not far away from me. And so, but in that time frame, realize the time of Jesus, the average age, the life expectancy at that point was about 35. That's because of a lot of babies dying in childbirth, a lot of moms dying and giving birth to children. Um, and the diseases and a lot of you know, hard life is hard life. So, Abigail's very fast. So, he is, in many ways, actually doing pretty well. He's making it to 60, though. You know, think about his body, what it has been through. Beaten repeatedly with rods, whips across his back, stones thrown at him, left for dead once. Stone more than once with people from rocks at him. I mean, think about you guys in here. Says I'm, I'm, I'm hard pressed, but I know it's, it's, it's my 
that I go away yet. I want to be here to help. I want to be there. Verse 25 says, I'm convinced of this. I know that I'll remain and continue with you, all of you, for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your rejoicing for me may overflow in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. He's quite an unvisited thing again. And then he switches here in this, the way that he's writing this letter. As I've said many times, you know, whenever we read the Bible, we don't read the scriptures. I am so thankful to see these chapter breaks and verses because it's easy to identify where something is, the address, how to find something. But realize none of that was added to the Bible until the 1200s and 13th century. Before any of these things, it was just, it's just one letter. It's no real break. You know, see chapter breaks, it's not really a break. But he starts to switch his language a little bit from telling them about what he's going through, sharing some of his heart to some instructions for them. Verse 27 Only lead your lives in a manner that will be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So he thanks them, tells them he's proud of them, he's proud of them, he's thankful for them. He's encouraging them all the more to live. In a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus. That's a great thing to say, and it's a great thing to live up to. I want to live as a question. Am I living my life in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of what the story means of the story of what Jesus has done? Am I living in a manner that's worthy of that? So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, one purpose, and having one mind striving side by side. We have a couple of five years since, as if in combat, for the faith of the gospel. I want to hear about all of you standing side by side in unity, agreeing for this faith, pressing forward, encouraging one another, loving each other. We want to live that way. Verse 28. And in no way be alarmed or intimidated in anything by your opponents. I love that. Do not be alarmed or intimidated. Just no matter what other people say. Don't be intimidated. When you're not alarmed by your, your opponents, for such constancy and fearlessness on your part is a clear sign for them of their pending destruction. Have confidence. Have confidence. It's love, but there's supposed to be confidence in there too. What we believe, what we know is real, what the experiences we've had with Jesus, what we know to be true. Verse 29. For you have been granted the privilege of, for Christ's sake, not only to believe and confidently trust in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now that is what we read. I don't buy that one, right? For you have been granted the privilege for Christ's sake. Not only to believe and confidently trust in Him, it's a privilege to do that, but also to suffer for His sake. There's a privilege in suffering for the right things. I'm amazed when you read the Bible, when I read the Bible, and you see these disciples, when they get falsely accused, and they beat me, and they go away, jumping up and down, praising God that they were considered worthy. For the name of Jesus. Wow, that's not necessarily an American mentality. 
right? It really isn't. I mean, someone falsely accuses them and cuts us off in traffic. It's like, come on, you want some of this? You know, that type of thing. Rather than realizing, no, wait a minute. No, I need to. I want to be misunderstood for the sake of Jesus. I want to suffer in that way. We're not going to suffer at this point in this our country where we're threatened to be beaten up. Because of the gospel, that's fair, sometimes it can if you're in certain neighborhoods or areas, I suppose. But in general, we don't go through what people in North Korea are going through, people in China are going through, people in Iran are going through. Yet, probably all of us have suffered some from family, friends, co-workers, when they find out what you believe, what your, where your faith is, what you hold to, you're probably going to get teased, mocked, made fun of, slighted, looked over for promotion, perhaps, cast aside, try to get canceled, all those things. Okay. There should be a rejoicing rather than There should be a there's some there's something about this in the mentality, particularly of the first century, second century, third century believers who are following Jesus. A part of their community and their mentality of life was to suffer for the sake of Jesus. And they, and their suffering was, it might be in the Colosseum, eaten by lions or beaten severely. Um, you know, when the council of bishops got together to decide several things right after the great persecution for the year the 200s, you know, these bishops get back together, 300 of them, and some of them missing eyeballs from torture, having all kinds of scars over their bodies, been really abused. And that was a part of life, especially for those who were meeting Jesus. They knew that if they were going to follow him, that that meant suffering. That meant, I'm going to go through some stuff. I may lose my life if I'm going to follow him. I have a friend, I've shared this story before about my friend in Tanzania, similar, he's Muslim, and when he gave his life to the Lord, he knew what that meant. Right after that, my family's going to reject me, they'll reject me, they're probably going to try and kill me. And he said, it's, this is worth it. I know, whatever suffering is going to come, I'm okay with that. And there is something that I think we need, I need, that, especially when you're falsely accused, when you're spoken evil of, that on the inside can be a kind of shame because you really are rejoicing when that happens rather than an anger toward that person. Because we're called to. Jesus said it as well. We're called to suffer for Christ's sake. And it says here, it's a privilege. It's a privilege. Someday you can have a story in heaven with all the other saints that are around talking about your life. All of us can have it. I'm going to be asking questions. We could be hearing all kinds of other stories. And I have a sneaky feeling that some of these stories are going to have to do with what it comes down to you. What opposition do you have? Who beats you up? Whether mentally or spiritually or physically, we get to suffer for Jesus' sake. Not to have a martyr syndrome where you're looking for that. But a rejoicing in the on the inside. 
Okay, let's go to chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement and comfort in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship that we share in the Spirit, if there is any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Similar to what he said above. Having the same love toward one another, knit together in spirit, intent on the one purpose. It says here, living a life that reflects the faith and spreads the gospel, the good news regarding salvation and faith in Christ. The Philippians and all of us are called to be encouraged to live for life. Loving one another and demonstrating the kingdom as well as having a life that's worthy of the gospel. I've noticed well as we persevere here. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. That would solve, I would say, 95% of American problems right there. That's really true. Selfishness and many. I would say that is a problem. Many other problems in the world. Selfishness is a huge issue. It is our other enemy when we talk about that. We've got the two enemies, the devil and selfishness. Those are, those are our two enemies on the earth. So he says, do nothing from selfishness. That's just, but regard, with humility, regard others as more important than yourselves. Regard others as more important than yourselves. That doesn't mean we don't have confidence in who we are, but we want to see that every person is important. It's just a point of time. It's not more so. It's a preference. It's a, it's a life. It's a love. It's a happiness. Jesus fills our heart. We invite the Holy Spirit to come on the inside. We get to love people in a way to prefer them, want them to be loved. Man, when that is happening, that is a contagious thing. I've seen that the root of nearly every dysfunction on the planet is selfishness. You find a family that's dysfunctional, I will tell you, there will be selfishness at the root in there between family members. There's going to be some problems in there. There might be a lot of other things in there, but there's also going to be selfishness. It is a root of dysfunction. When you find selflessness, where you have love demonstrated, you're going to find love. Selflessness is the, it's the antidote. And it is it's what we're called to every single one. And we're empowered to by the Holy Spirit, not just on our own. Thank you, Lord. But He helps us. Because Jesus said, nobody wants to follow me, just die daily to yourself. Follow me. I'm going to make you a selfless person. And you're going to love people when they come to Jesus. It's basically this amazing gospel that we have. Verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Yes, look out for your personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have the same attitude in yourselves which was in Christ Jesus. And then he gives kind of a summary of the gospel in a sense. Verse 6, this is a portion of Philippians that we, we all know probably better than the rest. Who, although he existed in the form and unchanging essence of God as one with him, he did not regard equality with God as thing to be grasped, but emptied himself 
without renouncing ambition and speed, but only temporary giving up the outward expression of divine equality and its rightful dignity. By assuming the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, he became completely human, but was without sin. He was fully God and fully man. After, verse 8, after he was found in outward appearance as a man, Growing up, there was a moment, or perhaps it was a process, where he realized he was the Son of God. You know, he wasn't a baby, just a baby today. He wasn't a baby realizing he was Jesus, the Son of God, such a man. He grew into that understanding. He was fully human, still fully God, but he had a mind of his own, just like our minds did. And there were these moments. Guessing that he had these experiences, maybe when he was five, six, seven, eight, or maybe he had these flashbacks of like creating stars that was fun, something like that. Or who knows what, right? Relationship talking with the father. Because by 12, he starts to understand what he's about, what he's supposed to do. He had this progressive understanding, it says here. After he was found in appearance as a man. So at some point, he's like, oh man, I am the one that he sent, and here I am with this earth suit on. Having found himself in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the Father to the point of death and death on the cross. Verse 9. For this reason also, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. That will happen one day. Of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, every person, wherever they are, they will bow to that name. And that every tongue will confess and openly acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Verse 12, so then, my dear ones, just as you have always obeyed, since you look enthusiastic, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. That is cultivated, bring it to full effect, actively pursue spiritual maturity. Work out your salvation. You know that word salvation brings us three tenses. I have been saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. So I'm I'm in agreement with God as He's doing and changing inside of me. Yes, I'm saved. I need to be confident of that. But He's still working in me. And I will be saved too. It's all that together. It's really the essence of that word. That's all three of those. And I lost my place. Where am I? Oh, there it is. With awe inspired fear and trembling. And here it says, using. Serious caution and critical self evaluation to avoid anything that might offend God and disappoint him with Christ. And that's not being a naval gazing person, but it's being aware. I want my life, the way that I live it, the words that I speak, the way that I conduct myself, all of my behavior, I don't want to offend God with anything. You know, one of the things I think of when, uh, when you bought your home or you moved into your apartment, you looked around and went, I would like to. 
right? I'm going to add my flavor. I'm going to put this piece of furniture over here. I'm going to do this photo here. I'm going to make the whole thing or change different colors. You have your idea of what you want that space to look like. You live it. I've often thought throughout my life that we invited, Jesus wanted, and he gave us in the church's birth, this Holy Spirit to move in here to this house. And I also have a suspicion that there are things he likes and things that he doesn't like. Right? So instead of just me being the way that I want to be and set up everything and conduct my way, conduct myself in the way that I want to conduct myself and say the kind of things I would say and have the kind of hobbies I want to have and all those kind of things. Yes, there's freedom in that. At the same time, I think there should be this checking with the Spirit. Holy Spirit, what are there things in this house that you don't like? Because I would like to throw those away if you don't like those there. I want you to be comfortable. Have you ever been in someone's house? I'm going to have a story. I don't know if I tell the whole thing. But I had to go and um, I was speaking about hydrated humanity in California. And I was, there was this house that they put me in. And it was one of the oddest experiences I've ever had in my life. It was bizarre in every single way. There's nothing in that experience that I would have ever wanted in my house. I was so uncomfortable there. Incredibly uncomfortable. There was not one thing that made me comfortable there. And things were filthy. It was every every bad thing you could imagine, yes, that was that was this experience. And I couldn't wait to leave. I could not wait, wait to leave. You know, and then I had this thought at the same time after I left. Holy Spirit, what things don't you like in here? What do I allow to set up in here that maybe you're not comfortable with? Because I want you to be comfortable. I want you to have your way in here. I want you to have things set up and have the kind of attitudes that hang on your walls that you like to have. Because I don't want to hinder you if you have your way in here. That's a great thing. You can't go wrong with that. Cannot go wrong with asking the Holy Spirit. Is there anything you want me to change on the inside? Things like you know, uproot or move out, throw in the gift of goodwill. Is there anything you want to throw in the goodwill that's inside of here? And what would you like to have put in here? I want those kind of things. All said, a few different ways. Clothe yourself in Jesus. Put them on. His ways. Okay. Then it goes on here. Verse 13. For it is God who is effectively at work in you. Inside of you. It's God who is effectively working on the inside of you. Both to will and to work for what? His good pleasure. His good pleasure. And then verse 14. Do everything without Murmuring. And that's important. Do everything without murmuring, complaining. We've got lots of examples from Israel going through the desert with what happens when they, when they murmur and complain. It's without murmuring or questioning. 
so that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and guileless, innocent and uncontaminated children of God, but blemish in the midst of a morally crooked and spiritually perverted generation. Among whom you are seen as bright light, you're seen as beacons of the darkness. And one way that you are a bright light is if you are a bright light. In Burma, I think all of you parents out there, if your kids ever in Burma, yes, complain, yes, that you're something in the Burma that starts. The complaint starts. And it's like a great time to
even when we talk about you and love you and demonstrate you and others are angry, or they mistreat us, that there be a rejoicing on the inside, not an angry kind of inside us. Lord, I should just do that. I should do it in me. That's a supernatural work. Would you do that, Lord? Would you help us to rejoice? There is any type of persecution. They have us to pray that we love those people. To pray for them, to bless them, to forgive them. Or would you help us to not be loved as the tenders? Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.